0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the greatest games on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Speller, with me, of course, as ever, is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is Priya Ramesh, football writer who specialises in Dutch football, contributor to The Guardian, The Blizzard, 442, just to name a few, and a self described subpar Sunday league midfielder. Priya, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Thank you very much, Marcus. Pleasure to be on.
0: Now, today we go back to May 1995 more specifically to Vienna uh, on the 24th of the month for the Champions League final which finished Ajax 1, AC Milan 0. Priya, why have you chosen this game?
1: I think for me um, it's one of those games where you saw the culmination of what Van Gaal had been doing but it was also kind of the sort of point of inception from which I think a lot of elements of modern football have been derived from that Ajax team. Uh, Van Gaal himself obviously took it to Barcelona and everywhere he went but then um, you could then see elements of of his style of that Ajax team in say sort of Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team for example Um, and there's definitely um, things that he introduced and details that he really pressed on that team that has percolated through uh, modern European football, um, and of course, it's the last time Ajax won the Champions League. Um, it's pretty iconic. Uh, they won it after a gap of 22 years as well, and um, it was it was a season I think none of them expected, no one expected, including the, the team themselves, um, but finished in the most beautiful way possible.
0: Mm. Yeah, I, I suppose iconic is the word, Jonathan. I mean, you think of that Ajax side, you think of that marvellous kit, which for those who have seen uh, our output on our socials will see Priya wearing it. Um, but also, you know, the names in that Ajax side as well, you know, went on to, to, to great things. I mean, what, when you think of this Ajax side, Jonathan, what, what immediately leaps to mind?
2: Well, I think it's... Um, I mean, Priya's absolutely right. The, the ideas percolate out from here. A lot of the players percolate out from here. Um but in some ways, it's 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 the end of an era as well. That this really is the last homegrown team to win the European Cup or win the Champions League. Um, of the thirteen players who who got on the pitch that day, eight had been produced by by Ajax. Uh, I think there's only two players over the age of twenty five, and the the average length of time they've been at the club was eight years. So but could you
0: argue that Barcelona, though, years later, some of the their the players? I mean, obviously not all homegrown, but there's. A... I mean. Uh,
2: yeah, I mean, I, th- I think the two thousand. I think the squad in two thousand and nine had seven home produced players. So okay, you could make that argument, but it's it's still not to the same extent. They, they'd still bought players for a huge amounts of money, I mean, they still yeah you know, had Thierry Henry in that side. There's no Thierry Henry equivalent here. Um, so you know, the the idea that that um, a, a club didn't have to spend a huge amount of money, it could just produce its own talent, and it could achieve this level. I think this really is is the end for this. Now I mean Ajax could have done it of course 2 years ago or, yeah 2 seasons ago uh and lost in the semi-final but then immediately the vultures sort of descend and, and pick off the prime assets. Which did sort of happen with this team as well but at least they had one more year they got to the, got to the final the following season. So so yeah it's it, it's um it it sort of feels like a team that, that that straddles two eras it's sort of the end of the old era and the beginning of the of the new
0: yeah, a very pivotal time, as as you say. I mean, Prue, what is it about this this Ajax side, and I suppose Dutch football in in general that that, that makes you so curious and, and so interested in it?
1: I think it's partly on my part. I wanted them to just get a bit more recognition because with Bayern winning the Champions League last season, there was all this talk about them going, them winning all their games, and you talk about all the greatest sides who have played in the Champions League and won the Champions League, but. It is actually very rarely that Ajax 94-95 are mentioned in that category. They're sort of mentioned in this, oh, what a surprise, such a young team, great football, all of that. But they were genuinely, statistically, one of the best teams ever. I mean, they went 48 games unbeaten, I think. Uh, they won the league unbeaten and the Champions League unbeaten, which is, which is remarkable. They scored like, I'm pretty sure... Yeah, they scored 134 goals that season in all competitions, only conceded 35. So that gives them a goal difference of 99, which is absolutely ridiculous. And you think about that team. And as Jonathan rightly said, they only really had uh, Frank Reichard and Danny Blind, who were um, slightly the the veterans in that side. Um, And all of the others were... In their first few years of playing, you know, had like maybe like someone like Frank de Boer, uh, Ronald de Boer, maybe had like five years, six years under their belt as professionals, but the average age of that squad was—I'm—I um, um, could be wrong uh, by 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 a bit, but I'm pretty sure it was under something like 23 years, and it's remarkable that you know, it's it's testament to the work Van Gaal did with that young squad, but it is also just just you know without any of that qualifying factors. They are simply one of the greatest Champions League teams, and I don't think they get that recognition.
0: Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about the average ages, of course, a teenage Nwankwakarno would have brought down the average uh, for once in, in that situation. But, uh, Jonathan, I mean, with Ajax, do you think that, do you think with Dutch football, because when, when you talk about this Ajax side, the statistics are absolutely remarkable. And, and and when we talk about other great sides, and and you know your allegiances are quite obvious here, Priya, I appreciate that. So forgive me for bringing in a PSV Eindhoven for a moment. But the treble they did in the late eighties, Jonathan, in in nineteen eighty eight, again is is way overlooked in in football history. Do you think when it gets to the kind of Dutch club football? Sometimes it can be overlooked, because we think about the philosophies and the theories and obviously the individuals who go abroad but there there's plenty going on there
2: yeah i mean I think p s v in eighty eight is a i mean yeah hopefully you can do a podcast on that sometime because I think that's an amazing stuff, <laughs> given they barely won a game, yeah, I think mm. they only won three games in the whole of that, that campaign um <laughs> so that's maybe one of the reasons why that doesn't get remembered. they just kept tro drawing true. on own, winning on penalties but i th- I think the other thing about this side um and I think something we we overlook with, with Van Gaal. And, you know, we've been guilty of it as well. We've talked about Van Gaal plenty of times in this podcast. And, you know, there's a certain angle that we tend to take, which is not not wrong. But the Van Gaal who takes over Ajax uh, in 91, uh, know, he replaces uh, Leo hacker, The job he does, he basically dismantles a team while winning the UEFA Cup with it and puts it back together again while losing his wife to cancer and losing his faith. And I think that losing his faith is a thing that is is wildly overlooked. You know, he was a a pretty devout Catholic, and you know his wife his wife got cancer and, and died the previous season, um, and he was sort of you know nursing her through while leading a team to the league title, um, and that I think is an extraordinary sort of emotional story which we, we sort of forget a bit with Van Hall, that, that kind of there's a very there's a very vulnerable side there beneath the, the, the sort of the thick skin. And then this team is sort of the, the 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 flowering of what he put together the previous year. Uh, and Ian Priest is quite right to win the league unbeaten. To yeah, you know, they, they 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 beat Milan twice in the group stage as well. They beat them two year home and away in the group stage. Yeah. So it wasn't. A, I mean, the final was a bit of a scuffy game, and they were a little bit fortunate to win it. But they had the bet with Milan in in those two group matches as well. So uh, you know, I just sort of think the whole story of Ajax in the early nineties is is slightly slightly underplayed. And yeah, the, the, beating Torino in, in that UEFA Cup final. So they, they drew 2-2 in Turin. It was two-legged, I do say. so they drew 2-2 in Turin. Went back to, to Amsterdam. Uh, Dennis Bergkamp was ill, so couldn't play. Uh, Stefan Pedersen, the, the centre-forward, broke his collarbone and played on with a broken collarbone. And, and so they're doing it in incredibly difficult circumstances. And the other fact that I just find amazing is how different football was well, 25, well, 28 years ago. Van Hout's preparation for the first leg was ruined because he had one tape of Milan, and his daughter taped over it with a Dutch soap opera.
0: <laughs> My goodness! And they still won it. Yeah, exactly. Imagine what they'd have done if 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 she hadn't done that. Um, yeah, I mean Ajax. You know, I think you're absolutely right. The Ajax in the nineties are, are an extraordinary side going into this Champions League. You know. Um, in the group stages, they, they they play AC Milan twice, and and, and that that game in Amsterdam, Priya. I mean, you watch the highlights, even just they're very dominant. And this Milan side, it's Capello's Milan, the the, the players that they have, they roll off the tongue, and we'll go into more detail in, in the second half. But this Ajax side were playing without fear. They were just they were extraordinary, they had that youthful exuberance, and didn't seem to kind of respect any opponent in in a in the in a good sense of the word if you see what i mean whoever they played
1: i think yeah 100% and um i think you could see that for fenghal when he came in it was not like a one year fix he won a lot on the way he built it up very steadily so they won the uefa cup then they won the um kain baker the next the next year and then they won the Eredivisie, qualified for the champions league and it's also not to underestimate this was the first year that they qualified for the, the European Cup, the Champions League, in nine years. So, I think only Danny Blind um, had uh, previous experience in Europe, uh, in Champions League. Sorry, uh, Frank de Boer had obviously played with uh, in the UEFA Cup, um, and then they had Frank Rijkaard. Like most of these players were teenagers or, or even younger the last time Ajax were even in the Champions League. Um, but I think that actually played to Van Gaal's strength because. Obviously, his background, um, very much like uh, Reines Michels, was as a school teacher. He was a PE teacher. Uh, and then instead of sort of starting off a, um, a, 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 sl- a, sl- a slightly smaller club, he then became the coach at, in the Ajax youth system, uh, became Bain hacker's assistant, and then got the job. Um, but I think it played to his strengths, because he was used to sort of working with children, basically. And because he'd worked in the youth, um, teams at Ajax. He knew most of these players that he was working with. They played with him for for years and years, so they took to his methods very easily. They were molded in his in his vision, really. Um, and he did mention about how the squad he'd inherited wasn't in his, and it was Bane, Harker's and all that. But he. Replace Bainhacker's squad by sort of creating his own, really, from from the youth system. Um, they they kind of supplemented it with the scouting and, and a few players. But it's also not to uh, forget that Van Gaal didn't get most of the players he wanted. Um, so, for example, at right back, uh, he just he just couldn't really fix the puzzle. Um, uh, and Sonny Saloy was was getting on a bit, uh, and he wanted a right back, and in on the sort of eve of the 94-95 season, he had two names on his list. Both of these players were loanies to FC Groningen the season before. Uh, it was Michael Reisiger, who was then an attacking midfielder, or like a right midfielder, right winger sort of um, position, and uh, Clyde uh, Weinhardt, who was a striker. So he was he was very peculiar in that he could, he could pick up on these qualities that players had. And then fit them into different positions within his system, and it worked. And and the other thing is, I think because they were so young and so malleable, it really they really looked up to Frenkel as a bit of a father figure, and he did really bring the squad together. He had his issues, obviously. He's not an easy guy to get along with. Um, but for example, Mark Overmars uh, mentions that um, when his wife passed away in, I think it was January '94. Um, he it, it it didn't just hit Van Gaal, it hit the squad like a like a bomb. It was, you know, all the players were were absolutely inconsolable. And the day after the funeral, they were all sitting in the dressing room and they weren't sure if Van Gaal would turn up. And, you know, that would be fair enough. That would be perfectly valid given the circumstances. And then they see through the parking lot and they see his Opel Omega coming through the gates. And that made such an impression on them that they were a family and, and everyone was in this together and you know it was it was also the fact that fenchall for all of his sort of you know as jonathan said we kind of like to think of him as this aloof character but also used to organize games nights for for not just the players but their wives with his own wife oh. um and he is he's got a very sort of soft center to all of that sort of thick skinned arrogant uh, personality that he has um and yeah as you mentioned the first ac milan game i think um I think it was Danny Blind, maybe, that said that um, AC Milan, basically, I think it was van der Sar, actually, um, AC Milan only arrived in Amsterdam on the day of the game. So, because most most teams arrive day earlier, training mm. ground, so on. But they kind of thought, oh, we're champions, you know, they kind of underestimated Ajax almost. Um, and they turned up and, and were completely taken aback. And apparently, uh, I think Ronald De Boer said that, Van Gaal said before that first game that they're good, but we're better. And all the players were like, you know, if it's a draw, maybe, you know, we can talk about we got lucky and, and all of that. But Gaal just sort of like radiated this confidence. And he does this very often. He does this throughout the season where even if he has his doubts, he just says the most confident things. And that does sort of have an effect on the squad. It kind of inspires them as, as a young player to think, you know, he knows he knows more than me. He's done his homework. Maybe if he thinks we can win it, we can win it.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's interesting what you say, about it, it does, Jonathan, it does feel like it's almost like an under-21 side, in a sense, a real youthful team with a couple of um, older heads in there. Yeah, but I, mean, I think the, played... key,
2: the key point is they have to do it his way. There's no room yes. for any d- debate there. And so I think the, yeah. the whole incident with Brian Roy back in 92 sort of really sort of sums that up. That Brian Roy was sort of a darling of the fans. You're obviously a hugely talented player, But Van Hal sort of didn't think he was tactically intelligent enough, he didn't understand football. And so the line he came out with, and this is such a great Van Hal line um, the supporters have always adored Brian because in the Netherlands, the emphasis on kicking the ball around nicely and not on all the other disciplines that I find equally important.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But this, I think,
2: is, is really significant with the fact it's Milan that the previous year we'd seen them. Beat Barcelona, beat, beat Cruyff's Barcelona in the European Cup final, in the Champions League final, and hammered them, beat, beat them four 0 And there'd been this sort of doctrinal dispute between Van Gaal and, and Cruyff, and, and various personalities as well, where Cruyff and all the Cruyff loyalists had sort of felt that Van Hal was too uh, too rigid, too cautious in how he played. You know, very risk averse. You know, he didn't like his didn't like his winger to take on the fullback. He, you know, if it was a if it was more than one player in front of a winger, he liked like the winger to turn back. Keep possession. Don't don't take risks. And Van Hal's point is, look, my way works. You lost 4-0. I've beaten them 2-0, 2-0, 1-0. And he's right. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And, and, <laughs> and no doubt would have uh, made sure everybody knew that he was right <laughs> uh, as well. <laughs> um, before we go to a break, I mean, I just jonathan that that, that point that as you mentioned they had to do it his way but it was it was a very young side though um as well do you think that that is a number of reasons and 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 you've mentioned i think quite rightly that you know a manager like some players only has a certain amount of time at the, at the top of um, at the at the top of the tree if you like do you think that's one of the big reasons why this is probably the greatest sort of period in van Hull's Managerial career, you could argue, is that he had all these young lads who who really did what he wanted, and as Priya said, you know, was a part of this family essentially.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is this is something you see with various coaches that they almost because their ideas are so idiosyncratic and because they are so dogmatic in mm-hmm. in, in in the imposition of them, they they need either <coughs> complete loyalists, as Danny Blind and Frank Raycard were. Or they need kids who just don't know any different and just think this is right. So I think you see it even with... I mean, they're very, very different personalities to Van Hal, But Michele Luchescu is exactly the same. All his best results come with kids. Because kids just sort of go, oh, if Michele says it, we'll do it. Whereas older players are, oh, hang on. This isn't, this isn't what we used to do. <laughs> and so, you, I mean, I think one of the most fascinating... It's a very brief period, but Luchescu's time at Inter, when he wins five games in a row, scoring 20-odd goals in those five games, when he's got a load of first-teamers out injured, he's playing the kids. And then the senior players come back and they just don't listen to him form falls off. And, and that's sort of a microcosm of a particular type of manager. Van Gaal's that type of manager. I think even you can say something like Don Revy. You know, he he had to have a team that he built and then he couldn't replace anybody in it. And I almost wonder whether one of Guardiola's problems at Barcelona was once he tried to to bring players in to to supplement the, the, the kids he brought through. When he tries to bring in Zlatan and and Shigrinsky and you know even David Villa struggled for a while to, to, to settle. Um the, the you know, they almost need these these ultra loyal players, whether they're loyal because they have share a philosophy or because they're very young and and just sort of go along with it.
0: Yeah. All right, let's have a quick break and after that we'll talk about the match itself, see you in a moment. Welcome back to the greatest games on the Blizzard. Everybody, now then, uh, Priya, Let's 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 talk Turkey, as they say. Um, so Ajax, uh, as we mentioned, they they they'd beaten Milan twice in the in the group stages. Uh, they they advanced through um, the competition with some some impressive results. Most notably, the, the second leg against Bayern uh, at home in the semi final, they beat them five two, and and they 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 again were playing with that kind of youthful exuberance. Uh, and so on. I mean, so when the final comes around, they are playing this great AC Milan side, who are the champions of Europe and and have been there and done it. What were Ajax thinking then? Were they thinking, "Well, hang on, we've beaten this side twice," or were they a bit like, "Oh, hang on a minute, it's these guys and it's the final and it's their stage, and not ours"?
1: Definitely more the latter, I think. Um, I think uh, Reisiger captures it beautifully when he says. Um, he was in his hotel room uh, before the the day before the final and he just couldn't sleep because the thing that was racing through his mind was we've beaten them once. OK, we've beaten them twice. Maybe we got a bit lucky. Like, can we actually do it a third time? Like, is that just one step too far? Like, it would be frankly ridiculous that a side that hasn't been in the Champions League for nine years and is filled with, with all these kids um, can beat the, reigning champions of Europe who'd absolutely thrashed Barcelona 4-0 uh can can they beat them like three times and you know they hadn't conceded the last two. it's almost like you're kind of delaying the inevitable like you kind of okay we've kept them once we kept them twice this time they are really kind of come at us with (laughs) with a with a bit of a vengeance and and it was echoed by by players like Ronald De Boer as well saying that you know third time is a bit it's a bit like you know you're kind of bordering on Pulling off something that's absolutely ridiculous there, um, but it was interesting because I think Van Gaal kind of internalised that, and he tried to sort of do a, a sort of a sort of mind game tactic that you can you can kind of like trace where Mourinho got his uh, streak from. Um, <laughs> but so on the eve of the final, um, UEFA basically announced that. Uh, from the following season, um, the seeding for the for the group stages is not going to be based on the club's individual performances in Europe. It's going to be based on the country's coefficient. So that's where the coefficient system comes from. Um, and Van Gaal takes this as a sort of personal affront, even though his club haven't been in the Champions League for nine years, and and like they've won they won the Europe uh, the UEFA Cup, um, and they have generally done well. But he takes this as this great sort of personal insult. And then he uses that to then inspire the players being like, you know, there's loads of Italians on the UEFA committees. This is obviously like them trying to get to us. We've got to go out there and prove that, you know, we can win this despite all the odds being against us. It's the world against us. Um, Do you really want to be back training in a few weeks for the preliminary round for next season? Um, and I find that quite interesting that he kind of manages to take that and then just spin it into something completely bigger than it is. Um, That's the Van
0: Halen, I know. There it is talking, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely, and and
1: you can you can absolutely see where someone like Mourinho gets that from that whole sort of world against us mentality that you then use to kind of inspire your players and and you know hack them up for the for the big occasion.
0: Mm. Yeah, I. Yeah. <laughs> It does sound very much uh, like Van Hal. Um, Jonathan, can we turn our attention to Milan for a, for a, for a moment here? Because we've mentioned that they were European champions. Of course, they finished I think fourth in Serie A that season. So not not a great uh, time uh, domestically, but they were in the final. They. they just sort of scraped through in second place in, in that group. Um, Casino Salzburg, uh, where, uh, you know, now RB, of course, with a, with a, Ralph Hasenhutl on their books, uh, ran them close. But Milan, they, they, they get to the final. And, I mean, the players that they have in that side, you know, Panucci, Maldini, Albertini, Costa Curta, Baresi, Donadoni, Desai, Masara, Boban, Simeone, and Rossi and goal. They roll off the tongue. I mean, this is a classic Milan side, you could say. Capello in charge. Um, they would have been confident, surely, you know, going into this.
2: Well, except they lost to them twice. Uh, I mean, at the group the stage, um, they ended up finishing level on points for the Casino Salzburg because they were docked two points for crowd trouble. So I think it mm-hmm. wasn't quite as close as... You know, OK. I mean, it was close. Sorry, because, yeah, yeah. because I should have said, yeah. But, but, um, but, but you know, the crowd trouble you know, made it closer than it needed to be. But, I mean, yeah, if you've lost twice to a team in the season, of course you're going to be anxious of them. I, I think... There was a recognition that, that Van Gaal had done something pretty special. Um, and, and that team, you know, it, it's the classic back four, but they're, they're, they're starting to age.
0: But do you think this is why in, in in this game, obviously Ajax still win it and Ajax still keep a clean sheet, but you said it was more of a, a scrap, it was more of a bit of a well, it, I mean, It effect. wasn't a that's... good game at all. No, it wasn't. I mean even the winning goal, but again we come on to that. Okay. Oh no, okay. There's a, yeah. <laughs> but do you think Capello really tried to bring it down to the trenches then? Because he have Ajax, we've uh, gone on and on about their sort of energy and, and, and youthfulness and so on. They have the experienced pros, the winners in that side. Surely his mindset would have been right, let's let's try and spoil this.
2: Yeah, I mean I think probably the previous year was was a sort of template that he sort of thought well, we we can we can out-physical them if that's a verb, which is not. You know, but, but, yeah, they 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 can just sort of... Out-muscle them. Yeah, out-muscle them. That's that's, that's the verb I'm looking for. <laughs> um, and, and, yeah, it worked so well the previous year. Um, and, yeah, the team's not that dissimilar. I mean, there's no Savicic, obviously, but apart from that, it's it, it's it's pretty much the same. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, I you know, I'd, I'd love to know whether his thought was these these previous two defeats have been a bit freakish, surely a third time will get away with it. Or whether he really did think, you know, they got a number.
0: Yeah. I mean, the the, the Ajax side, uh, Pri. I mean, again, if you talk about the Milan side, you know, the, the names rolled off the tongue then uh, because they were established players. But now you look at that side, van der Gold, in goal, Reisiger, Blint, Rijkaard, De Boer, Seedorf, Fanini George, Davids, Ronald De Boer, Jara and Mark Overmars, are absolutely incredible. Canu and Cliver on the bench Winston Bogard when he was when he was interested in football was on the bench as well (laughs) Um, it's a phenomenal team absolutely phenomenal side we've mentioned him already but the importance of Frank Reichard to this system is uh, you know can't be overstated where you have the speed and uh, and the skill of some of the youngsters. Reichard's position in this team, Prayer, in that sort of defence moving up into midfield, the 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 um the intelligence, the the spatial awareness, the tactical flexibility, he was crucial for Van Hal, wasn't
1: he? Oh, hundred percent. And I think Van Hal has has acknowledged it himself that the most sort of Important High praise decision. indeed. <laughs> <laughs> if, he's, if he's admitted something. Um, yeah. But he has said that the most important decision he made that season, um, or just the season before, was to move Hal into that sort of... He calls it the number four position. So mm. that's the sort of um, libero who's who's just sort of in front of the defence, can push up into midfield and then drop back when needed.
0: Mm-hmm. Um
1: And he said that's the most crucial thing because when Rijkaard came back to Ajax, he mostly played on the right for a whole season. He played sort of right midfield, uh, kind of right wing um, for a whole season. And, and, it was okay, but he just didn't feel at home. And I think so. Rijkaard is is very much a man of few words. He doesn't really speak up. He's, I think yeah. Danny Blind uh, mentioned that while he was the captain and he was sort of the vocal leader, Rijkaard was very much a silent leader who just spoke through his actions. And when he said something, when you when he like stopped the ball and and like gave instructions on the field, you listened. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and moving him into that position, it came at the cost of John van der Brom, who um, was at AZ um, a few years ago as a manager. Um, and it really it really clicked between Blind and Rijkaard because mm. both of them had that ability to almost work a bit like a pulley. So one of them went, the other one dropped back. It was mostly Rijkaard who pushed up because obviously he would played in midfield for a long part of his career. Um But he really brought a sense of calm, a sense of gravitas to that midfield, which had, you know, he had Seydorf and Davids in front of him. These two young Amsterdam guys through and through who'd like grown up playing together and they had the energy, they had the dynamism, they had the technique. But Rijkaard brought the sense of solidity not only to midfield, but to the defence as well. And I think I genuinely think no player and I mean this is obviously my personal opinion no player has finished their career mm. better than Rijkaard I mean going back to your childhood club you know inspiring a team that much and and then you know winning the Champions League providing the assist and as Jonathan mentioned actually um, the, the tactics that Capella went with um, I thought it was a bit like they were trying to narrow the midfield. Uh, the Milan were trying to sort of pack the midfield so that people like um, Rijkaard and uh, Seidov and Davids wouldn't really have time on the ball. So at half time, Van Gaal actually gets Rijkaard to move, to drop slightly deeper just so that he gets more time on the ball. So he makes more time for himself. Um, and then he gets, um, he, get, he puts Kanu on to kind of push up forward. So you kind of, expanding the field of play by by sort of moving your own team around mm-hmm. um and it's it's it works because Ricard eventually sort of makes the winning goal and I think that's just beautiful mm. uh, but I think I just want to m- mention one more thing I, I did mention that Reichardt is a man of few words and doesn't really speak much mm-hmm. but the, the one thing that all of the players in that team mention is that at halftime, apparently there was a bit of an argument between the De Boer twins and Seedorf about how they should be playing on the right side. Um, and Frank Rijkaard steps up and he speaks up for pretty much essentially like first time that season uh, in front of the whole team, speaks up at halftime and basically emphasises and presses on them that this is now or never if if you if you lose a champions league final and you know you didn't give it your everything you will never forget it and you will never forgive yourself so if you're going to lose it you have to give it yourself uh, mm-hmm. you have to give it all
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and and he just the fact that this man who doesn't speak a lot but is always there is always you know there for the younger players, always there, providing a sense of calm. The minute he speaks up, everyone listens. And then, obviously, Van Gaal had his had his things to add on at halftime. But it, it is Rijkaard's halftime speech that really presses onto to these young sort of Ajax players who might, you know, it, it is a big occasion. Um, it really puts it onto them that they should be going into this and going back out onto the field, looking to win it and giving it all they have.
2: I, th- I think the the you know Rijkaard's importance. I mean, I, I spoke to Van Gaal it three years, four years ago now, and this is something he was talking about this game specifically. And he 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 said that his doubt about what what Cruyff did and playing the sort of the 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 diamond in midfield, so three at the back, a diamond midfield, three up front. His problem with that was he felt it was very easy. You know, basically, the the, the base of a diamond becomes such a focal point and such a so essential to you, to your creativity that the opposition can just put a man on him, and it one simple switch can can totally throw you. So he preferred to have two more physical players as his two centre backs, but they needed a technical quality where one or ideally both, and in this case both, were capable of stepping forward. Now, Rikard clearly stepped forward more than Blind, but they could both do it. So Rikard's a perfect player for him. He's he is both a centre-back and a holding midfielder He's as a, as a pass of the ball he's as good as anybody and he's got a tactical intelligence so Reichardt's importance to this team I think really can't be I mean from a, from a psychological point of view as a leader absolutely but also tactically absolutely essential
0: yeah a f- a fascinating career we were often of fixated on his managerial <laughs> yeah. career Jonathan it was <laughs> nice to be able to talk about him as a player um, and I didn't know that about him uh, having that half-time team talk um, but I mean, the thing with
2: Sadov is fascinating as well because if you, if you watch the mm. second half, and, and you, every time you see Van Hal, he's arguing with Sadov. He, he, he takes Sadov off. Yeah. Eight minutes in the second half, thing to bring Kani on. and he, yeah. him and Sadov are going at it on the bench constantly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Lads, it's a Champions League final. <laughs> this, is, this can yeah, wait. But <laughs> the scene is so yeah, typically Dutch. Team Jonathan, Dutch <laughs> <Yeah. They're laughs> team, it happens. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, I it's was, very the... Sadov, isn't it? Yeah, kind of. Yeah. Presumably, Frank Reichard sorted it out by just sort of spitting on one of them or something like that. I don't know. (laughs) No, but so Um, this is
1: the actual thing, is that everyone thinks he's this thug because of that incident, but Reichardt is genuinely... No one who's played with him has a bad thing to say about him. I mean, Mm. there's there's footage of Capello... um, in the in the uh, tunnel before the the first game they played against Milan, and he's he looks at Ricard with these eyes because he also <laughs> didn't want to let Ricard go. Ricard well, came out? back of his own mm. of his own volition. Mm. Um, if 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 it was if it was up to Capello, he would have had Ricard there for a for a few more years. But I completely agree with Jonathan. I think um, it was interesting that Van Gaal also refers to his playmakers in his team. As his centre backs, he calls he calls Blind and Rijkaard his playmakers, and it's interesting because then you've got you've got Lippmannen obviously, but Lippmannen was always more of a, of a of a sort of shadow striker mm. rather than a playmaker, uh, and I think that that really kind of underlines the role that Rijkaard had in this team. Um, I mean, L-
2: Lippmann was was vital for the way he led the press yeah. as well. I mean, Van Hal mm. loves Lippmannen, quite rightly. I mean, the the, the thing about Saeedov, I mean, I, th- I think. In a um, in a very vocal Dutch generation, shall we say, he's perhaps the most vocal. There's that lovely Simon Cooper line about him, where where Cooper says that, that for years you sort of thought Sadoff was just argumentative and annoying, and then I don't know if he interviewed him or got to know him somehow, but he said, he suddenly had this realization that Sadoff thinks he's trying to help. It, yeah, it's it's not Sadoff being annoying for the sake of being annoying. It's Sadoff mm. being annoying because he genuinely thinks he understands the game better than anybody else. <laughs>
0: I think that's a problem with the Netherlands. They all think they understand it. more Well, it's, it's, it's sort of God's, God's great joke, isn't
2: it? He kind of he, you know, he creates this nation of six foot four giants who can all speak fifteen languages, but put two of them in the room and they will be fighting within five minutes. Yeah, it'd be, yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I, yeah, I, I mean, the match itself, um, you know, under the under the lights in Vienna. I mean. Jonathan, I have to sort of agree with Prius, is right. It wasn't a, a free flowing, sort of uh, particularly beautiful spectacle. Uh, well, the spectacle was, but the, the actual game it wasn't. It, it wasn't a particularly enjoyable one. Um, I mean, in the first half, I, I can't remember too many. Um, well, I, th- th- I think Milan probably
2: of... have a better the game, certainly, first half. Yeah. I mean, there's the. the uh, Pellucci has a chance, which is
0: deflected just over.
2: Mm-hmm. Um, there's the Simone volley which which uh, Van saves, which Vandazar's a little bit lucky that the volley's straight at him and it's a great volley you know, to, just to strike the ball yeah. on target is a is a uh, you know, that's all you could realistically hope to do and he catches it very mm-hmm. sweetly, but it is straight at Vandazar and a yard either the side is probably gonna go in. Mm-hmm. So yeah, two chances in the first half both to Milan. And then even in the mm-hmm. second half, there seems to be a lot of a lot of chances which are Simone turning thirty yards from Goal! And having a speculative shot which goes nowhere near the goal. Mazzaro mm. goes quite close with a again a turn twenty twenty five yards from goal and shoots just wide. Mm. But it's only really the last sort of ten fifteen minutes when I apply any pressure at all.
0: Well, that's I find that interesting because it, it goes back to my earlier point that Capello thought right. You think you are going to beat us a th- a th- a three times in a row? No chance, right? We we we're going to do our work on you. We're going to we, we're going to um, you know take it down to the trenches, close you down, blah, 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 blah. And, and I don't think it's that huge a coincidence. you know. I mean, Milan, did, Milan made their first sub on the 84th minute, um, you know, and, and, and then another one sort of soon after. And, of course, that was around the time that, that Ajax scored. Um, Seydal's taken off, as you say, on 53 for, for, for Canu. Um, so Van Halsey's sort of tr- feeling out the game. But on 17 minutes, a little lad called, well, a young lad, not a little lad, I should say, uh, Patrick Clivert comes on we haven't actually mentioned him yet he's obviously scores the winning goal, but this was when he sort of announced himself to the wider world I suppose in a in in an age pre-internet and and so on and so forth
1: I was gonna I was I was gonna call you out there because um I think until that point he was Ajax's second highest scorer that season and I think just, just going back a bit I think one of the reasons that the Ajax sort of pressed in work as well um, it's because Lipmanen wasn't 100% for the game. Um, and it's quite funny because it's not like he was carrying an injury. Mm. He just had a really, really bad bout of hay fever the week before and oh. he hadn't trained with the team for a week. So he came into this game quite a kind of not really 100% and um, it really wasn't his night. And, and kind of we've seen what Lipmanen can do. The, the game against Bayern was. You know you, you, there's this amazing shot of Van Khal looking at the camera to the side, uh, after Lipman and scores and saying on hello which is un- unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then Cloyvert comes in, but um, <laughs> I think is the, the funny kind of backstory with Cloyvert is that at the start of the season, uh, so kind of you know, the background to this is that. Um, we all know PSV eventually got Ronaldo, who had that amazing, absolutely crazy season. And a lot of people still think he's the best player who's ever played in the Eredivisie. Um, but Ajax actually kind of got there first in that they made contact with him first. Uh, they tried to sign him, but um, PSV had, because they're owned by Philips, uh, that's uh, that's what the P in PSV stands for, um, who had contacts with um, Brazilian clubs. Um, and they were sponsored by Nike, who also sponsored Ronaldo, um, and they'd had the sort of Romario connection. So what actually happened was in at the World Cup in '94 when the Brazilian team were training and they they had their camp, and Ajax can make further contact with Ronaldo, but PSV could get through because they had the Romario connection. So it, it kind of ended up with Van Gaal, and he said it very openly as well that he really wanted Ronaldo, um, and Ajax couldn't deliver. Uh, but obviously at the time, it was not like Van Gaal being Van Gaal was going to come out and say, oh, we didn't get our first target. So he came out and said uh, at the start of the season, PSV, fa- PSV have Ronaldo, Ajax have Cloyvert. And Cloyvert at this point is a 17 year old boy mm. who is, is playing his first professional season. But, you know, it could have, it could have gone horribly wrong. Um, but he starts him in the Super Cup um with so Ronald De Boer was the striker before that was the sort of first uh first striker drops him into midfield clover starts up front and he scores and he goes on to have this amazing breakout season um and he was actually really really gutted not to not to start the final that De Boer was starting again um and and he kind of uh, I think Bogard mentions that that you know on the bench he was constantly saying that you know you're going to go on and score you're going to go on and score um and he said that you know I kind of had that feeling as well that if I had the chance to go on I'm gonna go and go and score um and yeah he comes on and and just completely completely turns it um it's funny as well because for the actual goal when he Receives. I'm. I'm pretty sure we'll go into a bit more detail in a bit. But when he receives the ball from Rijkaard, by Van Gaal's training methods and the the sort of um, drills they use on the training ground, he's supposed to have played it back to Rijkaard, who takes the shot. But then he sees this this you know window of opportunity where I think it's Boban on his back who. Then sort of fumbles and falls, and then uh, Baresi in front of him, and he kind of sees his window, and he just toe pokes it. Um, and, and I think even even till date, the, the sort of um, players from that time laugh about it, saying it was uh, it was that toe uh, puncher, it was the toe poke that, that won it uh, for Ajax that night.
0: Yeah, I I mean. Well, let's talk about the. Guy. I mean, we've already talked about there, Jonathan. But I, I, I early, I said it was a bit of a scrappy goal, but you took umbrage with that.
2: Well, yeah, because so I, I think his strength to hold. I think it's actually Albertini on his back, but it's his strength to hold him off. is, is remarkable, especially in a, in a kid. Uh, I mean, he, he turned eighteen by this stage, I think, but still a b- very young kid. Yeah, he
1: was a month. He was, I think, a month. Uh, it was a month before his nineteenth birthday.
2: Right. Yeah. yeah. So he, he holds off. Uh, Holds off Albertini to have the strength to do that, to have the sort of the the body shape to do that, and then to have that 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 sort of the wit, the the the, the ability to improvise and realise, isn't it? You know, this window opportunity you talk about that if he just sort of pokes it, Rossi's not fully set and it it might beat him, which is exactly what happens. It it beats him. Knockers is a great shot but because it's a quick shot, it's an early shot, mm. and Rossi's not quite set. And before you've sort of worked out what's happened, Albertini's on the ground, the ball's in the back of the net, and you still thinking what what has happened? Hmm. Um, and that that's one of the one of the geniuses of goal scores mm-hmm. to to just well, have I mean, that, that sort of ability to you know find a way, and it might not be what you trained, it might not be anything you've ever done before, but to find a way to get the ball into the back of the net.
0: Yeah, one of them uh, won them the game, and uh, I think for the, for the for the purist, for the neutral, it was it was an amazing moment. It was it was
2: well. The the other thing that yeah. then happens, which I think sort of. <laughs> Given the sort of caution and conservatism that, that Van Hal's sort of had become notorious for oh, in yeah, those yeah, circles, uh-huh. I actually have another great chance where Rossi yeah. makes a really good save with Blint in the box. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah,
0: but <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I don't. I, this is not the point you're making, but you should have scored.
2: Well, he should have scored, you know, but also, I mean, it's a great save. What's your centre back doing in the opposition well, box in with, with yeah. seconds to go in the Champions League well, final when you won the look?
0: Also, the player who had the ball could have held it in the corner. Now, they then subsequently go on to do that and see the game out. But you're absolutely right. If Milan had found an equaliser from somewhere, my goodness, you know. It was your Dummy Van Hull. moment. Exactly. Yeah, it, could, it could have been like that. But, but fortunately for them, uh, Puri, it wasn't. And, and Ajax won the, the, the Champions League that year. And the sort of the legacy of that team, that we've touched upon many, many times, has been huge prayer from that, from that winning side. Oh yeah,
1: absolutely. I mean, it's is not really a coincidence that three of that back line eventually go to Barcelona. Obviously Rijkaard as coach, not not a player. Um and and it is it's also a shame because I actually think that was the highlight for most of them. So if you see someone like Yari Litmanen, um, who are you like I actually can't talk enough about because it was it was his work throughout the season that got them to the final. He didn't have a great final, but without him, there's no way Ajax could get that far. Um,
0: but we should say that they got to the final the following year.
1: They did, you know, yeah, <laughs> I, I was
0: beaten on penalties. So you know, they they but of course, but this was the season they won it. You know,
1: but uh, yeah, and and you know, but he never goes on to reach that sort of sort of um, um, high in his career again. Um, but I think the the legacy mostly comes from. I think, kind of importing his ideas to Barcelona. And then there you see sort of coaches start to pick it up. I mean, coaches, as we recognise now, like Guardiola and Mourinho, so on. Um, but I think, I think they really set a blueprint almost for modern football in that it kind of proved that you don't need experience necessarily if you've got a team that's well drilled and is committed to what they're doing and knows the system inside out. You don't. You could get past the sort of experience and sort of. Um, you need older players and all of that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it's a fair point, Jonathan. I mean, Van Hal. Yeah, if you think about the legacy of the side, you know, he's the one who goes on and has an ext- I mean, well, extraordinary you, managerial career. The legacy
2: of the side. So, if you include Van Hal, four of them go on to manage the Netherlands national team. Yeah. Van is Sar is, is it's a,
1: it's a bit of a dispute about the last one, Jonathan. I'm not quite
2: convinced yet. Well, he's technically he's technically in charge. Frank de does fact- does have a job.
1: Oh god! Factually <laughs> correct.
2: Um, Van der Sar, you know, CEO of Ajax and very sort of vocal in the ECA. Uh, mm-hmm. David goes on to manage Barnett. Um,
1: <laughs> Overmars is a technical director at yeah. Ajax at the moment.
2: Yeah. So I the,
0: they've Carnu, all... Carnu won the FA Cup with Portsmouth. <laughs>
2: So you yes. know, the, the they they all go on, you know, a large a large proportion go on to kind of very senior mm-hmm. jobs. So it, it, I, you know, it's it's that sort of. Yeah, you know, I've written the book on, on Barcelona in the late nineties um, about the the influence that that they have. But half of that team is this team, so you know, the, this team is the sort of the the, the seed of that, and Van Gaal clearly is you know is, mm-hmm. is the bridge between the two.
0: Yeah, um, and. Just a quick mention, if I may, Rijkaard, uh, and it is managerial, <laughs> but ch- ch- turning the fortunes of Barcelona around. You know, you can't really, you know, underplay his importance in in the in the recent story of, of Barcelona.
2: Yeah, Barcelona, the team that the Dutch Antilles could have been.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think we'll leave it there, um, Priya. It's been uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you about this. Thank you very much for coming on the pod.
1: Thank you very much for having me on.
0: Uh, Well, for more stories like that, do do check out Um, theblizzard.co.uk. But myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from the history of football. Until then, see you next time.